But here we are today, and uh, we are going to be continuing uh, talking about miracles, the seven miracles of John. Uh, and I did this Wednesday night, so if you weren't here Wednesday night, you missed out on the uh, guy that laid at the pool where the angel stirred it. You missed out on that, so you'll just have to read that for yourself and uh, pick us up here today. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about the multiplier, the multiplier. And I want us to pray this morning that the Lord would have his way in this class and all of our classes. And uh, uh, honestly, uh, <laughs> going through the miracles, I, I, I found out this one was this week. And when I looked at it, I was like, oh, man, the loaves and fishes, the feeding of the 5,000, the multiplier. I'm going to have to come up with something to say that people haven't heard before. That's going to be a tough one. Um, but I will say, I, I've felt, even just personally, and I hope I can convey this to you this morning, this is how I want us to pray, uh, I felt such faith uh, arise. And I want, I want us to pray this morning that the Lord would increase our faith this morning. Um, and then pray for all of our classes as well. Let's join together in prayer. Lord Jesus, we come before you thankful to be here today, Lord. Thankful that you've allowed us to gather together. And Lord, I'm thankful that we can hear your word, that we can respond to it. And Lord, I ask you that you would anoint every teacher today, that you would touch in every class as your word goes forth, that it would find its mark, that it would do its work. And Lord, I ask you that you would challenge us today to increase our faith. Lord, that you would challenge us in areas that may have remained dormant for a while. Lord, I ask you to just challenge us, Lord. Let your word speak to us today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. The multiplier. And uh, we're going to start out by reading the story. I'm sure most people uh, know this story in some form or fashion, but we're going to read uh, the account of this miracle found in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. And it says, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little." One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were sat down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over, and above unto them that had eaten. Now, uh, several years ago there was an archaeological dig that took place, and they uh, were trying to discover uh, where this actually took place trying to see if they could uh, uncover things, if they could find out where it was taking place. And in, in, uh, in this uh, dig, they discovered, um, they discovered something, if, if you would put slide number two up there, they discovered this picture. If you don't know, I'm lying, because there, wasn't no, there, were, there were no pictures during that time. 
But I found this picture when I was looking for uh, a picture of loaves and fishes. And maybe it just had to be in the moment. But ever, anything ever just struck you as funny as you're looking at it? For some, this picture came up. It's obviously from some movie about Jesus. And there's the boy with his loaves and fishes. And there's the four disciples behind him. And I just got looking at this picture and it just struck me as funny. First of all, that kid was probably freaking out when his mom packed him the lunch in that basket. That's a massive basket to take with you. Mom, what are you doing? (laughs) And then the four disciples behind him. I'd say the one right here looking straight at the camera during that time. This is the Instagram post before the miracle. He's he's Andrew, I think. He's the one that found the boy and he's awful proud. Now, the one next to him, the the skinnier one next to him uh, on the left-hand side, I think that's Philip. Because he's looking off at Jesus thinking, eh, I'm not really sure how it's going to work. It's slow. <laughs> the one on the far left has to be Peter. Steve? <laughs> it has to be Peter. And all I can see going through his mind, because one of the other accounts says they'd been there three days. I don't know. It varies a little. All I can think is Peter's thinking, do you, th- do you think I can steal that and make off with no one else getting it? He's really eyeballing it. And then on the right, I think that's just James. That's just the guy that shows up in every photo. You're not really sure. You didn't even realize he was there, but like, oh, I didn't even know he was there. Anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you. That's how I studied for this message with that, that picture. So anyway, that's, that's what happened that day. This is, this is moments before the miracle took place. Uh, this, <laughs> I still think it's funny. I'll probably go home and look at it some more. <laughs> Maybe not. But this uh, miracle of the loaves and fishes, that was supposed to increase your faith today, by the way. This miracle of the loaves and fishes, it's the only recorded miracle in, that's in all four of the Gospels. the only one they all give an account of. And there's slight differences in all of them. Again, uh, the, that, that depends possibly on, on just the, the person and what they saw and what they relayed. It accounts for their audience, and then like we've said in John, John is writing his gospel for a purpose, and so he includes things for a reason, and he gives us little uh, other insights that the other authors don't give us, and again, they're for a reason. Uh, but we find Jesus and his disciples have left, left Bethesda, and they, uh, this is where they healed the, the guy that was sitting by the pool. They, that, that's all taken place, and they've gone back into Galilee, Again, about 18 months of Jesus' ministry took place in Galilee, and and the healing of the the man at the pool of Bethesda was really the start of Jesus' second year of ministry. We mentioned Wednesday that this is when his ministry really, if you want to say, takes off. This is when attention really starts to focus on Jesus. The healing at the pool of Bethesda is when the Pharisees begin to openly plot and plan uh, the killing and death of Jesus. I guess that's the same thing. If you kill someone, there's death involved. Uh, But this is when all of this uh, starts taking place. Also, during this time, John the Baptist has been killed. So his disciples are now looking, uh, they're they're without a leader, they're looking for somebody to follow, they're beginning to come towards Jesus. We also read that this is Passover time, so there are people that are traveling to Jerusalem from all over the world. And, and it's, all of this leads to this convergence, this gathering of people, whether they're uh, just people from the area, whether it's people that have once followed John the Baptist and are now trying Jesus out, 
or whether it's people that have heard news has traveled, they've heard about this guy and on their way to the Passover, they hear that Jesus is in the area so they stop to see him. We see that this is the group of people that, that gathers on the weary band of Jesus' followers because it tells us that they had left and they had gone for some rest in the mountain. They went up the mountain to rest. Uh, they were wore out. And it tells us that Jesus lifted up his eyes and he saw a great company. Now, I don't know if the 20,000 all came at one time. I don't know if there was dust in that area, but I can kind of see, you know, in the movies, you're looking off in the distance and then a cloud of dust starts arising and then 20,000 people show up on the horizon. I don't know if it happened like that. But it says he lifted up his eyes and saw this great company. And, and the estimate is somewhere, uh, it says we know there's 5,000 men, that there was an estimate of fifteen to 20,000, possibly, I mean, we don't know exactly how many, but there's, there's possibly fifteen to 20,000 people arriving. That's quite a crowd that's coming towards Jesus. It's also uh, just kind of interesting to note where these people all gathered. Now, in my mind, I'd already, always pictured a large field. That's where they were, and thousands of people sitting there. And the passage does tell us that there was a large grassy area, but Scripture doesn't tell us that Jesus came down out of the mountain. It tells us that Jesus went up a mountain and all of these thousands of people came to Jesus. And so there's possibly fifteen to 20,000 people on the mountain with Jesus. Uh, we mentioned a few weeks ago about uh, the journey the man had to make from Capernaum to Cana, that it was an uphill journey uh, from Capernaum to Cana. The same way these people to see Jesus, they had to go uphill to see Jesus. And the other gospel accounts agree with this, that Jesus was in the mountain and the people all went to meet him. And so here we have thousands of people gathered to listen to Jesus as they are all gathered on a mountainside somewhere in some large grassy area and Jesus begins to teach them. Now the accounts differ about how long people were there from three days until John doesn't really give us a time frame. He just real, it just gives us the idea that people had been there long enough to get hungry. But he's now faced with a crowd of thousands of people that are hungry. And so Jesus, realizing this, he says, he turns to one of his disciples, Philip, and he says this, he asks him, how are we going to feed all these people? And the verse tells us, this is our first statement to look at, it said, and this he said to prove him, Jesus said to prove Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. <laughs> John includes these words that aren't found in the other gospel accounts, and it, it, it demonstrates to us, first of all, that Jesus purposely set out to prove his disciples' faith from time to time, on purpose. Some have taken from this statement that perhaps the reason that Philip was uh, the one that was asked is possibly we know that Judas was in charge of the money. Perhaps Philip was, if you would, the road manager for the group. Perhaps he was the one uh, that was in charge of supplies and making sure things were together. We know that he was from that general area, so he may have had some knowledge of what bakeries were in the area, what catering companies were around. Uh, but Jesus turns to Philip and asks him for this. Now, they, they, and, and again, perhaps he was the organizer, perhaps he was the planner. Obviously, Jesus had some inkling that, that Philip possibly had some abilities in this area. But I believe that Jesus wanted to prove his faith. In fact, Scripture tells us this. He wanted to prove his faith. And there's moments in our life when God proves our faith. Now, Scripture is very clear to tell us that, Jesus, uh, that God does not tempt us as far as sin goes. God does not test your salvation by putting sin in front of you. 
So he doesn't take something that you've been delivered from and drop it in your way, and as you walk down the road, packets of cigarettes just keep falling in front of you. God's not going to test your salvation in that way, but God will put you in situations that prove your faith in him, whether he can provide, whether he can heal, whether he can do what his word said he would do. And so I don't think it should be surprising in any of our lives either when we find ourselves in situations that don't seem real great to us, but they're God-ordained. And I believe that what he was trying to do with Philip, and not just Philip, but all of his disciples, was he wasn't just proving their faith, but I believe Jesus was wanting to prove their faith beyond their own abilities. And we're going to talk about this more in just a minute. But he wanted to prove their faith beyond their own abilities. That this is totally out of your control. This is totally beyond what you can do. I believe that God's given all of us abilities and talents but also believe that God wants to take us beyond those things as well. And I believe that he was testing his disciples beyond their abilities. Now, it's kind of interesting. There's not a whole lot of of things because, you know, you come across things in Scripture and you're like, hmm, that's a little confusing. And then you begin wondering what it means and you figure out that everyone else thinks it's confusing as well because they don't want to say anything about it. But it says, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus knew what he was going to do before he ever asked Philip. It's just kind of interesting to think, how far back did Jesus know what he was going to do? Did he know in that moment when he asked Philip, hey, I want you to feed all these people, in his mind he knew, I'm going to feed them all somehow, whatever he says. Or did he go even farther back than that? Did he go all the way back to a little boy that said, I want to go see Jesus? And he prompts his mother to say, you know what, you might need a lunch. And in that moment, a miracle started as a mother packed a lunch. How far back did Jesus know? You see, I think, and we're not sure how far back because there's no more explanation given, but I would venture to say that God is working far more in our lives than we ever realize. While we just see some lunch being packed or, or something taking place or, or we just show up that day and hungry, God's been preparing things for a long time. God has been planning things for a while and we need to trust in Him. <clears throat> I, got, I got to move on today. Where are we going to buy bread? When shall we buy bread? Jesus asked Philip how He's going to feed all these people. <clears throat> and Philip it, Jesus says, when are we, uh, where are we going to buy bread at? Now, first thought in my mind, if Philip's the organizer, if Philip is in charge of this situation, if he's kind of the road manager, uh, first of all, why is this Philip's problem? Why is it his problem? You know what? All these people came, and they all came to see Jesus, and they knew it was probably going to be a while because Jesus was not a one-hour preacher. It was usually a day trip to go hear Jesus preach. All of these thousands of people, he did in closing many times. After every beatitude, he said, and in closing. Like, there's more? (laughs) Yeah, there's four more chapters. (laughs) I think it says in one passage that what Jesus did is he preached all of the even notes and then came back and did the odd, too. But why was this Philip's problem? In my mind, just thinking, you know, just in my own natural mind, I I probably wouldn't have said it to Jesus. You know, we say a lot of things we would have said, but we probably wouldn't. I'd have been thinking in my mind, it's their fault. 
I mean, shouldn't they have brought their own lunch? Why is this my problem now all of a sudden? I mean, well, anyway. And, and, then, and then the problem was so big. It, it, there's problems that we face in life, and you probably you may have come across them sometime. There's problems that, that, that there's small problems, uh, that, and we talked about that with the water into wine. There's little insignificant things. Sometimes we think that's, too, that's not enough to trouble God with, and God cares about the insignificant. We come to problems where we know like, okay, I need God, I'm going to pray. Someone needs healing, this got happened. And then there's problems that are on the other extreme where really it's too big to even consider. It's laughable. If, 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 if there was maybe 400 people there, and Jesus says, Philip, I want you to feed these 400 people. If it, if it was me, I would have immediately, because I like a challenge, I would have thought, okay, we can, we can do this. It's going to be a push. But I'm from the area. I know a few places. I could call in. I think we could do this, 400 people. I mean, there's a story in the Old Testament where there was 20 loaves and, and 100 people, and it was multiplied by the prophet to feed the 100 people. So 400 is within the realm of possibility. But now it's fifteen to 20,000 people. Yeah, okay, whatever. You're joking, right? Like, 400 maybe, but you're kidding me, right? You want me to feed 15,000 people? That's just a joke. I mean, that's what I would have thought anyway. Again, the, the, the water into wine reveals that nothing is too small for God. But I think, and, and, and we know this, but I want us to take a little bit and maybe apply it more to our life. This miracle reveals that nothing is too big for God. And when I say the impossible, we all know nothing's impossible for God. I'm talking about the real impossible. I'm not talking about feeding 500 or 1,000 people. Let's, let's say fifteen to 20,000 people. The real, the kind of stuff that you don't even consider impossible, God is big enough to do that. Not just the things that you think are a big deal in your life, things that you don't even consider because they're so big. And I believe in our own lives, and I believe in our church, it's time we start looking on the crowd again through God's eyes. I believe we start seeing the crowd because I think sometimes we lose sight of the crowd because it's so big. I, I, I mean, just for example, let's just take the biggest example. We're called to reach the world. Well, that's just too big. And I, I agree, we need to sometimes break it down so that we can see what's taking place, so that we can uh, bring, bring it down to our level. But sometimes we bring it down so far that we lose sight that there's a whole crowd and God is able to do it all. God is not able just to fill this place. God is not able just to fill a sanctuary no matter how big we build it. God can save everybody in this town. He can save everybody in the neighboring towns. But you know what? Here's the deal. I don't think that way. I think, man, man, if we, let's see, man, if we build a sanctuary for 800, wow, that's thinking big. Okay, let's go 1,000 because Ephesians 3.20 says exceedingly abundantly. Let's go for 1,000. Wow, that would be a big deal. But God thinks bigger than I do. 
You see, we think big, but I'm talking about big, big impossible stuff. And this, this, I think what this challenges us to do is to open our eyes to see there's a crowd again, to see that there's thousands out there. It start, it's time to start looking at our situation again and that seems so impossible that it's almost laughable and start trusting God for the utterly impossible again. Jeremiah 32 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Now, again, I put myself in a lot of these situations and what words are said there, and I know God probably didn't say it this way, but I'd be like, that, that to me is almost like a little bit of trash talk. Man, there ain't nothing too hard for me. There's nothing too hard for me. Yet we have, we, we, while we may think big sometimes, no, God is thinking so much bigger. There is nothing, that nothing. It doesn't matter how big you think. It doesn't matter how impossible it may seem. There is nothing too hard for God to do. Matthew 19 says, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You see, if I was Philip and there was four or five hundred men, I would need the Lord's help, but I, I would play a part. There'd be something that I could do with that. I'd make some phone calls. No. With fifteen to 20,000 people, there's nothing that I can do. But with God, all things are possible. I believe we need to start believing that again in our lives, in this church, that with God, all things are possible. That when I say I'm dreaming big, he really can go exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or think. He really can do more than I can imagine, even though it's unimaginable to me. I think it's time we start believing God again for the impossible situations. When shall we buy bread? Well, it's going way beyond our control. It's going way beyond our scope of thinking. You know what? That's when I know it's completely God and God steps in. And then we see the story carries on and Andrew, you know, the one guy that was proud in the selfie in the Instagram post, he finds that boy with his massive basket and some bread and some fish. I'm really hoping it wasn't three days because, man, I do not want to eat three-day-old fish that's been sitting out in the sun. Wow. Maybe there's more of a miracle there than what we realized. And the disciples say, but what are they among so many? John's the only one that records these words. What are they among so many? We can catch a premonition of the miraculous with these words being uttered. Because we all know, man, this ain't much, but we got Jesus. We know what's coming, right? You've been in church long enough to know that line itself will preach, but what are they among so many? We catch a premonition of the miraculous with these words. Imagine if you're Andrew, and, and, and Philip has, said, has come and said, you know what, Jesus wants us to feed this crowd. Yeah, I know, I know. Jesus and his big ideas again. Here we go. Uh, I mean, just let's go out and see if there's any food out there, see if anyone has anything. And Andrew's walking through the crowd, and there's, you know, Jesus isn't teaching, so the crowd's, you know, there's, there's chatter going on among them. They don't really know what's going on. The disciples are walking among them. And, and perhaps Andrew feels this little tug. They're asking, do you have any food? Feels a little tug, and this boy says, uh, I've got five loaves and two fish. So? So? Uh, what do you want me to do with that? Uh, look around you. This isn't going to feed... Uh, and, and within a 10-person radius of you. What do you want me to do with five loaves and two fish? And Andrew may have continued to search, and he may have come back to the boy, but he, we, we find that he brings the boy to Jesus. He brings the lunch, and he says, this is all I've found. 
And in fact, that's the only thing that we find recorded that any of the disciples found, which to me is almost a miracle itself. In a crowd that large, all there was was five loaves and two fish. I I probably would have been quick to dismiss it. You know why? Because it's a drop in the bucket. This is nothing. This is so small. But the boy didn't let what he had stop him from giving what he had to Jesus. He did not let the size, the minuteness, the seemingly insignificance of what he had in comparison to the situation, he did not let that stop him from giving it to Jesus. You know, sometimes when I approach situations, I think, man, what's my prayer going to do? What's what's my five bucks going to do? Man, that's a drop in the bucket. And we got missionaries here with us today, and they're probably going to ask us for like $5 million and all this kind of stuff. And I got 10 bucks. What's that going to do? Well, I get commission on it. No. (laughs) And in fact, he had barley loaves. And if you read in the sacrifices... You know, there's kind of this, this deal where, you know, if you, if you can bring this, you bring that. If you can bring this, you bring that. If you can't do it, you bring this. At the bottom of the list, if you couldn't even bring wheat, was barley. Barley was the lowest sacrifice. It was the cheapest of the cheap bread. So this was not a wealthy family. This was the, this was the cheapest sacrifice that could be offered. So if you would, of all the food out there, this was... <laughs> This was liver and onions. This was, this was a roll of brown swagger for 20,000 people. That's good stuff there. Spam. Unfried spam. What's worse than spam is in the UK, in the same size of tin back from the war days, they would make canned corned beef. And it comes out in the shape of the can, and it's like got this, leaves this, well, anyway... But the point of this miracle, too, is how God can take less and he can make more out of it. It doesn't matter how small it is. And see, here's the problem. When the situation's so big and we put ourselves in comparison with it, sometimes we see the differences so vast that we don't even offer anything because it's such a drop in the bucket. But I'm here to challenge you today. Don't lose faith because it's so big and you have so little. I'm here to challenge you today to offer your little one more time. Offer the small amount of talent that you say you have. Offer the small amount of time, of finances, of prayer, of whatever it may be. Because when I offer my less, God will always make it more. When I give something to Him, in His hands we know how much more it can become. In fact... In fact, I don't know that we do know how much more it can become. Because we'd probably offer it if we did. We'd probably offer it. If I knew that my, my, uh, if me coming and and, and doing something for an hour, God could save 500 souls with it, I'd probably do it. But I don't think my hour counts for anything. I don't, well. I think God is challenging us to offer our little so he can do something more out of it. I think, and I'm challenged, it might be about taking the job that pays less because it fits in better with what God wants to do in my life, and somehow God makes more out of it. 
See, that's what I'm talking about. We're talking about loaves and fishes. Well, I don't know how many of you ever have loaves and fishes, especially barley loaves and three-day-old fish, but how about my job? How about the things that I do care about? How about the things where God challenges me and I say, I can't do without that. You know what? I offer my little and he'll make more than I could ever get. It's about taking the days off to do something that I feel passionately about that God has challenged me even though I can't afford to because I know God has said to do it. And when I offer my little, God will make more. The question is, what do I do when the will of God doesn't add up in my life? When God asks me to do something and I know in reality that's not going to work. I know in reality that my bills won't get paid that way. I know in reality I won't have the time for this. I won't have the time for that. In reality, this is not a smart move at all. In fact, it's completely illogical. In fact, if you would, it's like putting five loaves and two fish in the hands of Jesus and saying, feed 20,000 people. But you know what he did? He fed them. So you know what? Maybe I need to start trusting God and have faith that my less can be more in His hands. Because His output always exceeds your input. It doesn't matter what you put in, it will always come out more in the hands of God. And here's the challenge. If that boy would have kept his five loaves and two fishes, he would have been fed. Now there may have been a fight. Of course, I don't know. Maybe no one would have wanted his stinky old fish. There may have been a fight, but he probably would have been filled. Five loaves and two fish for a boy, that's not too bad. But you know what he would have had? Five loaves and two fish, that's it. There wouldn't have been 12 baskets left over. He couldn't have taken his lunch back home to his mom and say, look, you packed me a lunch, I ate it, and I still have it. Explain that. He would have had the five loaves and two fish, and he would have been filled in that moment. Nobody else would have, but when he gave what little he had, he left with more, and everybody else left with something they didn't come with. God can't give back what you don't give away. And, and I told you that the, the, the start of this has come from a book I read that talks about these seven miracles, and, and I've gone away from it quite a bit. But in this chapter, and I'm not going to spend time on it, if you ever get the book, this chapter talks about money a lot. I didn't feel like talking about money a lot. But God can't give back what you don't give away. I believe it's time for us to start challenging God. And saying, you know what, I'm putting this in your hands. I know it's little, I know it's insignificant, I know I'm nothing, I know I'm worthless, I might as well go eat worms, but I'm placing it in your hands. And I'm going to trust you that you can do the impossible. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Again, the number is higher. Other accounts of of this story say they sat down in certain groups. We're not sure exactly how this miracle worked. We don't know if Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, whether he prayed and then there was still five loaves and two fish and he began breaking off small pieces to all 12 disciples and then the disciples took them and then they look down they've got five loaves and two fish and then they start breaking it off. We don't know if Jesus said, all right, go get those baskets over there. They picked them up and they're full of loaves and fishes and they start passing them out and that never gets to the bottom. We don't know if the the disciples took the small, maybe they had five crumbs and two little pieces of fish, maybe an eyeball or something, and, and then they walked up and they gave a little bit to the first person and they said, pass it on down, and as they passed it, it multiplied as the people. We don't know how everyone got their food. We just know that everyone was full. They all sat down. Uh, the, the particulars are left for speculation, but we do know that every person ate until they were full. I think it's interesting to note in this, in this miracle 
They sat down in number about 5,000. We call this the miracle of the feeding of 5,000. And we look at it as one miracle. But I would submit to you, and the number is 5,000, so we'll use that. I would submit to you that this is not the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, but this is 5,000 miracles of provision. It's not just one miracle. One miracle would have been, they all, I, I, well, I don't know what that would have been, but Jesus provided for over 5,000 people that day. That wasn't one miracle. However it was d- distributed, whether they experienced the miracle as it grew in their hands or whether dis- the disciples just never ran out, God provided for 5,000 plus people that day. And every time he provided every person, it was a miracle for every single person. Let me say this to you, we see big miracles, we see big things, but maybe, maybe the big miracles that we're looking for are made up of many small miracles that we miss. Maybe the miracle that we're looking for, maybe we're waiting for the lightning and the thunder, we're waiting down for the shadow to heal people, we're waiting for this and that, but perhaps the miracle is happening, it's just happening in smaller miracles than what we realize. I believe it's time we start looking for every miracle, seeing every miracle. And what's the way, we've said this the whole way along, and we'll say it again today, how do I steward a miracle? When God gives me a miracle, how do I steward it? I believe for something greater. And so when I get the small miracle, no, it may not be the the feeding of the 5,000, but he provided for this one person. He did a small miracle in my life. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to believe it, and it's going to keep growing. It's going to keep growing. I believe we need to see every miracle in our life. And this is I've said it, it's a challenge to me. It's not that God doesn't do miracles. It's not that I'm saying we need God to do miracles again. No, I want to see him do greater things, but I don't want to miss the miracles that he's already doing in my own life and in your life. I don't want to miss the miracles he's already doing in this church. And while I say, well, I haven't seen a hundred soul revival, or I haven't seen this, or I haven't seen that, well, you know what? I don't want to forget the one person that he has saved, the five people that he has saved, the one person that he did heal of the flu. It wasn't cancer, but you know what? I'm seeing miracles happen all around. Perhaps if I start realizing that maybe the major miracle is made up of smaller miracles, perhaps I'd build my faith more. Said so they sat in groups. They sat in groups. And I, I, I just felt the Lord challenge me in this. Uh, one of the other passages, it tells us they sat in, in, in certain numbers of groups uh, on this grassy area. And I just felt a challenge in my own spirit to start looking beyond food for just my section. That seems a little bit weird. Looking for food beyond my section. If I could parallel this, if you don't like the analogy, well, then that's fine. But sometimes my section, if I could liken it to my circle of influence, to the people I know, to the people I'm comfortable with, I believe as a church we need to look beyond our section for food. And I I do, this, well, I won't qualify it, how about that? I'm thankful for every person that comes in this church. I'm thankful for every person that leaves this church and comes back. And I believe God's going to keep bringing people back. But can I, well, I'm going to say it. I'm not going to ask you if I can say it. I'm going to say it, and I'm just going to ask you not to get mad at me then. How about that? But I, 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 and like I said, I believe God wants to save every backslider. I believe that. 
I believe there's children here that God's dealing with at this moment. There's spouses. There's, there's, I believe that. They're looking at their watch saying, you know what, I used to be in church at this time. I believe that. But I, I think it might be time to look beyond our own section. I think it'd be all right to see some brand new people walk through the doors. Sometimes I think we just limit God to our section. I want Him to feed our section because this is my section. So that means I want Him to save my kids, my spouse. They used to be in church. I want Him to come back. I do too. I'm not saying that's not supposed to happen. But sometimes I can get so focused on my section... I forget there's a bunch of other sections out there. Jesus said, look on the fields for their white. There's more than one field. Perhaps we need to lift our eyes to another field. I'm thankful for every person that comes back. I'm thankful for every person that prays through. I believe it's a God thing. It's ordained of God. We rejoice with that. That's not taken away from that. But I, I wonder what would happen in this church if we just get some brand new people. Is that all right to say? Yes, sir. Said, and when he had given thanks, I got to finish up here in just uh, about 45 minutes. When he had given thanks, in, in reality, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot on this because I've talked about this, and this is just a kind of throw in there. When he had given thanks, he gave thanks for what he had, Jesus did, which really, let's call it what it was it was nothing. It was nothing. If you're standing in front of 15,000 hungry people and you've got five loaves and two fishes, that's nothing. Jesus gave thanks for basically nothing. The miracle, though, came after he gave thanks. I believe there's something to be said for thankfulness and contentment. I believe there's something to be said that Jesus was content with what he had in his hands he was thankful for what he had in his hands, and then a miracle took place when he was satisfied with what he had. He didn't settle for it because he did feed everybody. It multiplied. But I wonder, I wonder how long it's taken me to get my miracle isn't somehow tied to my thankfulness and contentment in my current situation. Hmm. While I'm not happy and settled with the outcome, I know that he puts me in situations to try my faith. That's what he was doing right here. This is the same God who every morning when the Israelites woke up, there was bread on the ground. This was the same guy that said, I'm going to provide meat for over 2 million people for a month. And quail came in. And they were just sitting there. They had to pick them up. You're telling me that God couldn't have just said, we're all going to pray. And when everyone opened their eyes, they don't have a corn dog and some chips in their hand. He could have done it. But he wanted to prove the disciples. He sent him out to find somebody. Brought it back. He let him see how little it was. He let him feel the dejection of feeling insignificant. Like we cannot do this on our own. And then he did the miracle. But there was a thankfulness and a contentment for the little that he had. I wonder if I'm not getting my miracle simply because I haven't learned to be content in whatsoever state I'm in. And we'll leave that there. But for the last point... I'm going to cheat. I don't like to cheat unless it benefits me. No. <laughs> don't like to cheat just for no reason. 
But for the last point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move out of John's gospel. I think it ties in with John's gospel, but John doesn't specifically say this. And, and we're going to look at, at Mark's account of this story. Because we know that Jesus did this whole sequence of events here. Now, his, his end result was he, he, he saw they were hungry, had compassion. All they have between 13 people is a loaf of bread. Seven baskets left over. They fed 4,000 people. They get in the boat, go to the other side, like, man, we're hungry. And like, oh, I got a loaf. You couldn't have just snagged some when you left? So all this happens, and they get in a discussion about how we're going to eat. And Jesus comes in on the discussion. He says some things, and he, he, he leaves the disciples wondering if, if, if they're mad, if, if Jesus is mad, you know, because they didn't bring enough bread. So they're getting in this discussion, and Jesus responds in Mark chapter 8. Says, and when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, he, when he knew that they were getting in this weird discussion about, is he mad because we didn't bring bread? Should we have grabbed some of that stuff? Jesus said unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? A bunch of questions here. Having eyes see ye not? Having ears hear ye not? And do ye not remember? Man, it's a bunch of questions. That's like having a toddler in your house. He said, when I break the five loaves among 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? Now this kind of, again, I, maybe I'm reading it differently. It, it's kind of like a, a kid and an, a parent talking here. When I broke the five loaves among 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you have? The disciples all go, 12. All right, and then when there was seven loaves among 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? They all look at each other. It doesn't say which one, so I, I'm assuming they did it in unison. All stand there in the boat going, seven. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly how it happened. And he said unto them, how is it that you don't understand? And that, he leaves it. You know, there's been moments and I've been like that with my kids. If you don't get it, I, I don't know what to tell you. Just, just keep banging your head against the wall, guys. If you don't get it, I don't know. Just do whatever. How is it you don't understand? And he leaves it there. I think this is tied to the proving because he's proving them and they don't understand what's being proved. They don't understand what happened at the 5,000 yet. So Jesus does another miracle of the 4,000 and they don't get it with that either. And it has nothing to do with you didn't take enough blessing left over to last you because he says this is not about bread. This is not about how, what you brought from that miracle. This is not that I provided for you and you left it there. Now maybe some of that can play into it, but he says that's not what I'm talking about. He says, why reason ye? Perceive ye not? Have you, is your heart hardened? Have you not seen? Have you not heard? Do you not remember? What was it Jesus was trying to teach his disciples? What was it they didn't understand about these two miracles? With Jesus, I believe this is what, and, and this seems very simple, but I think it plays out throughout the rest. With Jesus, they possessed all they needed to feed any crowd, no matter how big or how small. That seems really simple. But I think what he was trying to teach him, with me, you possess all that you need to feed any crowd, no matter how big or how small. Now, in John chapter 6, when they leave there, Jesus gets on a big discussion, first with, with people standing around, and then with his disciples. And the point of the entire discussion, the rest of the chapter, is Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. So, understanding that, you know that I'm not talking about that whenever, it doesn't matter where you go, if you just pull out some loaves and fishes, you can feed everybody there. This is a spiritual context, and we know that Jesus is the bread. 
When I have the bread, which is Jesus, everything I need is there to feed any crowd, no matter how big or how small. And I think this plays out. Whether consciously or subconsciously, I don't know. Again, I've put a lot of stuff in the story. But when that 120 spilled out of the upper room, there's 120 newly minted Christians that have experienced the Holy Ghost. They're not Christians. They've just experienced what God promised. And they don't really even exactly know what it is. They just know they were promised something. They've waited all this time. And suddenly, there's fire. They're speaking in other tongues. And they spill out of an upper room. And there's, cra- there's, a, there's a crowd of thousands there wondering if they're drunk or what's taking place. I wonder if this story didn't flash through their mind. The feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 4,000. What's a going to do and there's estimates of that crowd that it goes up to 50,000 people what is 120 going to do in the middle of all those people what's 120 compared to that crowd and Jesus just didn't say that crowd he said you know what you're going to go to Jerusalem you're going to go to Samaria you're going to go to the whole world I wonder if they didn't say what are we among so many What is this among so many? But Jesus wanted them to remember, if you've got the right bread, it'll feed everybody that needs fed. They knew the lesson of the feeding of the 5,000. They had been there at the feeding of the 4,000. So I believe, again, whether Peter, this all went through his mind or not, I believe that when he opened his mouth and began to speak those words in Acts chapter 2, I believe really what he was doing was he was saying, there's only 120 and there's thousands of people, but Lord, here's my lunch. You do what you want with it. I don't know what's going to happen. You see, Peter had no theological training in what had just taken place. He, he, he didn't lay out a Bible study on tongues because he's experienced it just in the last few hours. But he steps out in front of a crowd of thousands and he says, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, he didn't know if everyone was going to get the Holy Ghost. He didn't know if they were going to stone him. But he just said, Lord, here's my lunch. Do what you want with it. I believe and trust you because I know if I've got the right bread, you can feed everybody here. And he gives it to Jesus and 3,000 souls were added to the church that day when he simply gave his lunch. I wonder if the miracle of the loaves and fishes, the 5,000 and 4,000, whether it passed through the minds of Peter and John as they came upon a lame man on the way to the temple at the gate beautiful, and a man reaches out his hand and says, can you give me some money? And they say, we know this, we've been in a crowd of 5,000 with no food, and Jesus fed them all. So you know what? Sir, we don't have anything except the bread of life. And you know what? We're going to put it in Jesus' hands and watch what he does. And suddenly the man gets up and walks. You see, what I'm trying to tell you is you have the bread inside of you. It may not seem like much when you look at the crowd. When I think, man, I've got to go to work and I'm the only one that even knows the truth. I've got to go to school. My neighborhood, man, it's just falling apart. I live in the worst part of Salem, which is really not that bad. But I live in the worst part. What am I going to do? You know what? You've got bread. And if you've got the right bread, it can feed everybody. It can change your neighborhood. It can change your workplace. Don't lose sight of how big it is. God wants to do something. God wants to do something through you. But you see, I can allow the size of my workplace just to hinder me. I can can allow, because (laughs) who am I? I just work in molding at NAL. Now, if I was the president, I could mandate something. If I was in charge, if I had some power, well, maybe that's it. I'll have the church pray for a promotion for me. That's what I really need. 
I just have, I, I, I'm nobody, nobody, I, I'm the low man. I, I, maybe, you're not, maybe you're just in the middle, maybe you're just another guy, but I believe that God is challenging us to realize that it might just be five loaves and two fishes, but that's enough for him to feed everybody that he's placed in your path. And not just in your section, not just the people that you've been uh, slowly witnessing to and waiting for, no, he can do it for everybody. There's, I believe that God wants to expand what is happening in this church. I believe that God wants to push the borders. I believe that God wants to speak to people through us that we don't even know right now. Throughout the rest of the book of Acts, it's just men with five loaves and two fishes. It's just Paul going to a city where nobody cares about God. It's just Paul walking in and saying, you know what? All of God's loaves and fishes. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit. He just goes in and I didn't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom. I didn't come to you with eloquency of speech. I didn't come to you with all that you... No, I just came with some loaves and fishes, but that's all I needed. I came to you in the power of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And he entered the town and I can just metaphorically just see him placing his lunch... In Jesus' hands. Jesus gives thanks and blesses it. And before he knows it, Lydia, he's found Lydia. All of a sudden, the jailer who's beaten him and taken care and, and put him in stocks and bonds, all of a sudden, the jailer's praying through. That's what I'm talking about. I want, I, want to see, I want to see every person that's walked through these doors come back through these doors and stay in these doors. But I'm ready to see some jailers. <laughs> I'm ready to see some persecutors. I'm ready to see some unbelievers walk through the door and Jesus begin feeding the crowds. So how can I change my school? There's not many in school here now. They're all down there. How can I affect my workplace? How can I reach my neighbors? How can I reach this community? How can I reach the surrounding areas? I don't know. I'm like Philip. You're asking me to feed 20,000 people? 200 pennies worth. A year's worth of wages wouldn't feed them. What are you asking me for? I can't do that. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take to see. You know, there's seven, well, it just depends on the day. I guess you look at the sign. 7,500 people or so in Salem. And then we got people there from other areas in here. I mean, if a thousand people come, that's, that's the seventh and eighth of, of this town. God's not happy with, I'm not willing that all but an eighth should perish. He says any. That means everybody. How, how, how do I see, let's think about that. Not, not tens. How do we see thousands come to the Lord? Thousands. I don't know. I don't have the program. I don't know the program. But I do know this, and this is my challenge to you. If I offer what I have, no matter how small it may seem, if I give what I do possess and place it in His hands, and then maybe I start passing out a little. Maybe I take it and say, Lord, I'm just going to do what I can. I'm going to say what I can. I'm going to offer to pray where I can. I'm going to do the little bit I can. I don't know how it's going to save 8,000 people because I'm just talking to this one person. I don't know how it's going to work. But when I place it in his hands, I'm going to trust and believe that it can multiply in ways that I cannot explain, in ways that I cannot understand. But God is going to feed whoever he wants to feed. 
I believe God wants to challenge us to lift our eyes. To believe the impossible again. And we got to finish here. Let's stand this morning. I believe God wants us to look above where we are right now. Again, I, I, I don't understand nor I, I don't understand how that miracle worked. I don't know how it worked. I, there's no scientific explanation. There's no logic to how it happened. Except for what we know. And that's if I put a little in God's hands, He will bring back a greater investment. If I put a little in His hands when it comes to witnessing and reaching out, He's going to bring back a greater investment. And I believe God wants to do that. I want us to pray right now that the Lord would simply increase our faith to start believing in the impossible again, to see beyond ourselves. Lord Jesus, we come before.